Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Jared, uh, welcome to an episode of Almost Awakened. I am one of the hosts, Bill. Mikel is in Mardi Gras with uh, New Orleans. That sounds fun. Uh, in New Orleans with for Mardi Gras, which, which also ties into what we're talking about today. Uh, everybody, we've got, yeah, we've got Jared Clavin uh, on the podcast today. We want to talk about um, your entry as an adult into the world of alcohol, how you navigated that, how you managed that. Um, let's start off, if you just want to share a brief bio kind of about yourself, and let's kind of go from there, and we'll start asking some questions. Yeah, sure. I'm uh, born and raised in, in California and Oregon, uh, came from a big family, kind of a yours, mine, and ours type of a deal. Uh, my dad died when I was a little kid, so we had a step family that we, we consider each other as just the real thing. We're very, very close family. Um, been in sales most of my life, so as far as alcohol goes, that's a very big part of a business. But, um, you know, raised in a, a fairly conservative religious home, and about the middle of my life, 40, 44 years old or so, um, started having some other ideas and my thoughts on alcohol were, were some of those uh, that I started yeah. to reconsider. Yeah, so as you, navigate, uh, as you navigate this world of leaving a religious system and up until that point, having this level of certainty or belief that your system is the system, and one of the things that it teaches is not to drink alcohol. And so um, like you and like millions of other people out there in systems where they have health codes, there's certain things that the rest of the world is doing that we're not doing. And uh, in our particular system, alcohol is, is the thing. And so like you, I, I'm lucky in that I'm a convert. I was a convert to that system. And, and so I enjoyed up until about the age of 17, I enjoyed um the opportunity to do what normal teenagers do and to experiment with things. But you grew up in the system. And so it's 40 years old when you first have this thought like, oh, maybe this isn't bad. Um, when that thought entered your head, maybe this isn't bad. What do you do with that from there? Well, it was it was both a liberating and a terrifying thought at the same time. And it's it's a uh, hard sensation for to explain if, if somebody hasn't really had that breakthrough experience before. But really what it came down to is, I mean, alcohol is everywhere. I've always been interested in it, always been curious by the process of how it's made, how it, how it's used. But I had always really stuffed those feelings down because of my religious beliefs. So yeah, once, once the rules didn't apply to me, I started thinking again, well, Maybe I could try it out. And uh, and so here you are. You're like, okay, I'm I'm willing to give this a shot. Maybe this isn't as bad as I was as I thought. Let me let me start to experiment with this. 
How does how does that experiment begin? How do you decide like okay, this is the first time I'm going to do it, and here's the setting, and and here's who it's with, and how did that come about? Well, it was actually really awkward. Uh, so I had been thinking about it for quite a while, and I was going out of town on business. I travel a lot throughout Northern California for work, and so I was up in Chico, California, sitting in a hotel, and I thought this is the night. So I, I wandered over to an AM PM market, bought a bottle of beer, bought a, a can of uh, that hard cider and angry orchard hard cider and cracked them open in the hotel room, tried them out. I was all alone. And honestly, Bill, they tasted terrible. They were not refreshing in any way. It was, it was a terrible experience overall because I, I hadn't, um, you know, the pictures, the marketing of, of alcohol is different than the reality, I think. And, you know, they promote a lot of really fresh flavors and things like that. But I had no comprehension of what alcohol really tasted like. So it was definitely a different experience than, I, than what I had anticipated in my mind. And being alone, too, that, that's just a terrible way to do it. That was, that was dumb on my part. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. So you would not recommend drinking by yourself as no. a, as a regular occurrence, <laughs> especially not as the first time. It's just a terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. You need, so what made it um, an easy experience for me as a teenager was that I came from a family that drank mm -hmm. and I saw what happened if you drank too much. I saw, um, People try different things and seem to find their own thing they liked. And I, I heard my family members say like, oh, I don't like this, but I like that. And so I, I kind of understood like, oh, we all have different tastes. And, and you know, my dad likes uh, Miller High Life and uh, my uncle likes Bush Light and my, my aunt loves to take shots. So that you kind of grow, you kind of figure that out, but, but you're into this all new. And so you decide one night to just... Um, pop these open and, and you're right when you first start trying alcohol it's kind of like coffee in that it doesn't right. taste that good for most people on the beginning Very true it's kind of a developed taste and there are lots of different things out there um maybe tell us a little bit more so so you have that first experience um it it wasn't that great the taste isn't good you probably don't even have enough to do something in terms of you know starting to feel the effects of it you've got essentially two drinks with you that's at, at best, you've got a light buzz maybe going, but at best, and you're doing it by yourself. So you're not having any fun talking to people and having good conversation. Um, what do you do from there? So honestly, I, I just shelved the, the idea of drinking alcohol for a while. I, I really, <clears throat> that idea that alcohol didn't taste good. Um, it bothered me because I, I had always, it was just, I had false expectations of what it comes down to. I thought that it was supposed to taste good. You know, I was very naive in my expectations and I, I'm a product of uh, consumer marketing. I mean, you know, you see the, the images, everybody's enjoying themselves, smiling and laughing. And I assume that uh, all of those drinks look really nice and taste great, but uh, they didn't taste great. So I just, I put it off for a while. I just didn't drink anything for a while. And so what I did um, in a few months later, my wife and I went to my sister's house to be with her family and they are drinkers. They've, they've been 
you know, they enjoy good food and, and good drink. And so they took us out to dinner. We had drinks. I had drink. My wife does not, does not drink. I just want to point that out, but we had drinks and then we went out to a piano bar and had several drinks there and just danced the night away and with people um, in a social setting with a meal drinking was a lot more pleasurable and a lot more enjoyable. So, yeah. And, and if you can, if I can ask, like, how many did you have that night? You think like, was it enough to kind of get into the flow of things and, and yeah. what was your, what was your experience like the first times you're experiencing what alcohol does to your mind and your social inhibitions? Yeah. So, you know, that whole social lubricant thing is, it's a real deal. I, it really is. So, you know, I have never been a dancer. I like to dance, but I just look stupid doing it. So I've always worried about what people think about me. So, you know, we're going to a piano bar where there's live music and dancing. And <clears throat> typically I would be really nervous and maybe even awkward about getting up in front of people who are watching me dance. But, you know, with, uh, I think that night I had, I had one drink at dinner and then I probably had something like four more at the bar and I felt great. I, I call that feeling jolly. I felt really jolly, just warm, happy. Truly, I feel a love for my wife, for my family, for everybody in the bar, whether I know them or not. It was just a good time. It was a, a unifying feeling. It was great. Yeah, I am... Um, so I start drinking when I'm 12, if I'm going to be honest, and it's only because, uh, me, my best friend and my cousin, who is also my, uh, my best friend, along with my best friend, um, we just hung out and did everything together. And, and again, I come from a family of, of drinkers and it always scared me. I'll, I'll stop here and say this. It always scared me because I see people taking drinking too far. I Definitely. see, I, I saw, I saw an uncle who uh, at his own wedding got so plastered that he passed out and had to be um, had to be kind of essentially watched over until he was able to hours and hours later go home. Um, yeah, it can go bad. Um, but but I can remember when I started drinking as a 12 year old and then, you know, I'm 14, 15, I'm 16 years old and now I'm driving and I hang out with my friends. I get to go to go to parties. And when when you take alcohol. And again, it's a quite an acquired taste. When you take alcohol, it does what you say, which is it just makes everything more friendly. Yeah. And and it and it allows you to be more of yourself, which is I think the reason why we all look to uh, conscious altering drugs of one sort or another anyway, is to get in touch with things that we can't normally do in the real world when there's all these boundaries and rules, and and that's good and bad, and the recognition that when we drink, um, we we, we allow ourselves to maybe be a little more real, a little more vulnerable. And it comes some with some silliness. If you drink too much, um, were all your experiences good like this, where you were just having a blast? Uh, all but one. I, I have, I had one big experience that really shook me. It scared me. Honestly, it wasn't fun at all. I mean, up, I guess I'll, I'll preface that. The social part of it, I, it was with uh, a bunch of coworkers. We were at a conference in Dallas <clears throat> and we had been working all day long. We went out for dinner, had drinks and wine with dinner. And then we had a, we went for a nightcap at the hotel bar where I drank a couple drinks that I'd never thought of before 
straight uh, straight vodka and straight bourbon, both of which to me are kind of terrible even now. Um, and it knocked me on my butt. It, it really hurt. And the next day was what really sucked because it, uh, you know, I woke up about two in the morning, two 30 in the morning or so my head was splitting, my guts were churning and I had meetings at six starting at seven 30. So I suffered through the night, um, kept it together, took a shower and went down to the conference room. And that morning was awful. We had, we had, business to take care of from 7.30 to noon. And during that time, my head was just absolutely throbbing. My body ached, my stomach was just in revolt. And I had to get up and excuse myself as calmly as I could four times during the during those few hours of the meeting in the morning and run for my life to the bathroom and just, I puked my guts out over and over and over again. It was terrible, it was terrible. So yeah, that was that was the limit that I discovered that I never want to cross again. I'd never want to feel that way again. Cause it was absolutely terrible. Yeah. The room feels like it. Uh, if you want to mute your mic when I'm talking, that'd be great. Sure. Uh, there's a, there's a button down at the bottom. Mute it. Um, yeah. I, so I've been there too. When, when you drink too much and you never know what too much is until you've had too much. Right. So I know we're going to get into in a moment, how you kind of kept track of this. And I think, I think that's a beautiful way to do it because it allows you to sense where your where your boundaries are to have a good night. Because what I find happens with alcohol is you you get drinking and you get to a space where you're like it's really good and you're having a great time. Um, and and then you think like, oh, so maybe if I drink more, I even have a better time, right? And the reality is that when you find that sweet spot, you got to figure out how you just maintain that. You just have enough to maintain it. Um, what is what is that balance, Jared? Like for everybody's different, but how how do people find that balance so that they're not puking their guts out, feeling shame, and off in a bedroom throwing up into a trash can? You know, it's a good question, and like you said, it does differ for everybody. Because you know, for example, my brother-in-law, he is a big dude, and he can drink way, way more than me. So his limit, and he's been drinking for a lot longer than I have, so his limit is way different than mine. But I think. You know, it's just a matter of experimentation. It's, I accidentally tripped over that limit and it hurt. But that inspired me to, like you said, just keep keep a record of what I drank. And I think just the way that you find that limit is just by going out with people and trying things. Um, but I, I do think that being aware and being conscious of what we're drinking is really important because it is easy when, when you're in a club setting or something. Uh, and when, when you're with friends who are drinking a lot, it's easy to fall into the trap of drinking as much as your friends or as much as the people you're with and forgetting what you've drank because then you don't know the limits. So I do think it's important to go in mindfully, really being conscious of what you're, what you're drinking. Otherwise, you're not going to know and you're liable to make that mistake and go over the limits again. We've got some comments coming in. I just wanted to show you one of these on the screen. Somebody here recognizes you. Uh, hey, that's my young men's leader. He's a great man and apostate, but a great man. Uh, your friend there also wanted to, to say, I want to see Jared dance. You talk about how you can't dance that well. Uh, the the listeners to the podcast are hoping, at least their friend here that knows you, uh, is hoping maybe that uh, you're going to show your dance skills off today. But I maybe, maybe not, right? 
I would say probably not. We'll have to get together, John. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, so you have this really bad experience. Um, you're, you're starting to kind of figure out what is, what is a good experience like? And man, you're right. I've been to parties where, man, there are certain people. And, I, and by the way, I'm, I'm kind of one of these. I, I can have a few drinks and get half in the bag pretty quick. Um, but then I can drink all night long and never get sloppy. I, I mean, I just keep pounding stuff and I never get sloppy. I don't, I don't generally get silly. I don't, you know, I don't throw up or pass out. Um, and so you're right. Other people around me, every time I'm like, Hey, can I go get you a beer? Can I go get you something to drink? And cause I'm grabbing me one folks feel pressure. We leave one tribe that put rules and boundaries on us and we enter another tribe. That's better of, of people who are making space for you to be you, but it still comes with social pressures. It still comes with uh, perceptions about what we need to do to fit in and be part of a group or a party. Um, I think party dynamics are quite interesting when you watch a large group and how they all talk to each other and move around the room in this natural way. Um, tell me about how you kind of decided to start keeping track of things and how that process went. Sure. So, so after my experience in Dallas, where I was puking my guts out, I, that old indoctrination of if you start drinking at all, you're going to become an alcoholic. That that voice started firing off in my brain, and I was I was really worried that I would become an alcoholic because I had gotten so drunk. So, I just decided, you know, in in order to maintain control, I was just going to record it every every time I drank anything. I was going to record it. I have a a little calendar. This is the 2020 version. I've got a 2019 version, but I just I record everything on the day that I drank it. I, I recorded what I drank, who I was with, um, how I felt afterwards, you know, so like the, the hangover level uh, sensation. And with that, I was, and I also recorded whether or not I liked the drink because this was all new. I had no idea what I liked and what I didn't. And the funny thing is just, again, to show my naivete towards alcohol, I just assumed that all alcohol was alcohol, but it, it really isn't. It's just like different kinds of pie or different kinds of uh, sandwiches or whatever. People like different things and alcohol is no different. So that's that's what inspired me. Honestly, it was fear that inspired me to, to start recording what I was drinking. Um, and I just wanted to be responsible. Yeah. It, in my head, as, as you're talking there, I'm trying to think about like the listeners – there's a large section of our listeners who have kind of been on the same journey where alcohol was prohibited growing up. They, if they, if they touched it, it was barely and probably never. And then they enter their thirties or forties or fifties and maybe even later sixties, seventies. And for the first time they're like, Oh, that's not necessarily bad. And when you enter the world of alcohol, first you hit on it earlier, the alcohol advertising industry is, this enormous entity that has its own level of unhealthiness that promotes an image of drinking that isn't necessarily accurate. Um, not necessarily making drinking bad or the experience of drinking with your friends or at a party or uh, out at dinner, a bad thing either. But as you enter this world, there's a, an entire plethora of things to try. And, and I remember like, I'll drink something and I go like, Oh, I kind of like that. But then two months later, I have no idea what it was I drank. 
And I had no way to to measure like, oh, I definitely love Moscow mules, but I hate mojitos. Um, there wasn't a way to keep track of these things. So you you writing it down seems like a brilliant way to go back and say, look, I really like this drink. I love sex on the beach. I love a margarita, but man, I hate a I hate a uh, a beer that's got a lot of uh, a lot of color to it, or or this particular flavor, or this particular brand. Um, maybe talk about actual experiences. I'd love to hear some of the drinks you like, some of the drinks you didn't like, and any recommendations you have for listeners who are thinking about entering or just entering this space for the first time. Sure. So <clears throat> this this idea of acquired taste was was foreign to me because I, I I had always assumed that if something is good, you'll just like it. You know, it's just you'll just like it right off. But you mentioned coffee. Coffee is a similar thing. Some people like it super sweet. Some people like it super bitter, like just straight black. Um, so it is it was a different thing. So, you know, as far as my my first drinks, like I described, um, the beer and the the hard cider, I didn't like those. They just they didn't they didn't taste good straight up. They just didn't taste good. But what I found lime mojitos are really, really tasty. That is absolutely my favorite. The rum and the, the lime and, you know, just the, the simple syrup and the soda and all that. It's just that man, it just blends together in such a great, to form such a great flavor. So I would say that's probably my favorite and, and really just rum in general. I just like that with all the fruity drinks. Um, I do like fruity drinks. I'm not ashamed to, to admit it. Me They're too. Really me good. too, brother. Me too. Um, I drink a lot of beer as a teenager. My, my favorite was Bush light uh, in a bottle and you got to, I got accustomed to it to the point where, and again, I'm not recommending teenage drinking for anybody out there. I'm just sharing my personal experience. Um, and I, I generally did it in uh, a friend's home um, I was safe. I, I, you know, I didn't overdrink. We'd buy a case of 24. There were three of us over the course of an entire evening playing cards and laughing and watching TV. Um, we'd have six, seven, eight beers. And again, I'm not recommending it. Nobody as a teenager, especially as our brains are underdeveloped and not ready to kind of take on some of these things. And there's health issues with alcohol, which we'll get to in a minute. But I'm just saying like, I had a good experience and I, um, we'd get a case of bush light and there were three of us. We'd take eight cans or eight bottles a piece. Um, we had an older friend who would get it for us. Um, again, we broke all the rules. I did lots of stuff I shouldn't have done, but I had a ton of fun as a kid too. So I wouldn't take it back for the world. Um, you have to learn your amount. You have to learn because hard drinks aren't beer. And then when you start mixing various drinks, something happens. Maybe tell the, uh, the listeners your experience as you've taken beers and mixed with hard liquors and mixed with, you know, uh, fruity drinks and, and what happens uh, versus just staying on one or two different things. Yeah. So I've always read that there's, there's a, a negative effect to mixing, say like beer, wine and, and hard liquor. And to, I still don't know exactly what is going on there. Uh, you know, science wise, chemistry wise in my body, I have no idea, but I do think that uh, there's something to it. But I found that regardless of what I drink, if I, if I slow my pace and drink a lot of water and have food, I can handle pretty much anything within an evening. But if I'm, if I'm pressured or if I just pound a bunch of stuff, especially all kinds of different stuff, all in a short period of time, that's when things really start to go south real fast. So 
just a matter of uh, pacing myself, I think is more important than anything. Yeah. And you're right. Um, get plenty of, of water, like sip a glass of water after every one or two drinks you've got. Um, again, the, when, once you've hit that sweet spot, that sweet spot for me last maybe an hour or so before it kind of starts to dull off. And so you've got time to get some water in your body. If you do it kind of aware of, of kind of the process and understanding what's going to happen if you don't, uh, maybe describe a hangover. Cause I think most people who haven't experienced it don't have a clue. This is a different kind of animal. It is, uh, man, I'll let you go first and then I'll tell you about one or two of mine. Yeah. So this a hangover is definitely something to remember. It's, uh, for me, there are different levels. The, the first level is just kind of a dull headache, not, not too hard, but just a dull headache. The second level is a headache with slight nausea. And then the third level is a, just a pounding headache with nausea and actually throwing up all over the place. Um, it's, it's miserable. And the feeling, the body feel of it too, is it's like you have the flu. Cause I mean, you're sick. You, you've ingested poison into your body is, is really what it comes down to. And you've ingested too much. <laughs> so um, it is not a comfortable feeling. The headache is sharp. And for me, it, it just, it focuses right up in here, super sharp and pounding. And then the, if it gets to the point where I'm throwing up, it is something that can last for hours. It's not a pleasant experience and definitely something to, to watch out for. So your recommendation, you say get some fluids, get some water, get some H2O in you. Um, what other recommendations you have? Did you say to take maybe like an Advil or some Tylenol or something like that? Yeah, I think take uh, take some Advil, et cetera, and something like that. And and really just pace yourself too. Cause if you're, you know, some people drink to get drunk and I don't, I don't think I wouldn't recommend that for anybody. That's not a good idea. Um, granted you drink enough, you're going to get drunk. But for me, I like it to be an experience rather than just like a destination. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but the, the fun of drinking for me is drinking and enjoying time with family and friends. It's not about let's just get wasted. That's not the point for me. And so just taking it slow, finding that sweet spot, like you said, and maintaining that and not overdoing it is really, really important. Yeah, there's something about altering your consciousness that makes you more present. And I've heard people talk about this with uh, cannabis. I've heard people talk about this with uh, even, even things like meditation, which alters your consciousness. Um, but alcohol certainly does that. I think we're all too often in the stories of past and future. And, and it shouldn't be about like, yeah, like you say, like, I want to get to my six beers so that I get to this spot, you know? And, and instead it should be, look, I'm with my friends. I'm with my family. I'm with interesting people or people I love. And it's a chance just to be present and to have an experience in the here and now where I get to know these people better and get to laugh with them and show them that I love them and get to see that they love me um, and get to just have fun and, and, and take a break sometimes from the hustle and bustle of life. That's right. It's, it really is a nice experience to just have your inhibitions melt away. I mean, it's, 
it really is it's just a nice feeling. I, I'm a nervous guy by nature. That's just how I've, that's how I'm made. So to have that removed from me from time to time is a really nice break. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm i going to put the uh, telephone number up here, see if I can find it. Uh, if somebody wants to call. Now, if a call comes in, Jared, uh, I'll have to field the question. I don't know that you're going to be able to hear them, but I'll field the question and then I'll relay it to you and then you and I can talk about it. But I'll show the number and then while I'm showing the number, I'll talk about some of, uh, some of my own experiences. But for me to um, – hangovers are right. I, when you have a hangover – First off, I kind of know by the end of the night, like, oh, shoot, I drank too much. I know I did. Um, when I wake up in the morning, um, yeah, the flu is probably the best way to describe it. I think it's the closest thing to it. My head pounds just like yours does. The the room, the equal, my equilibrium's off, and the room doesn't feel right. I can tell that I'm nauseous. I feel like throwing up is a bad choice. I feel like not throwing up is a bad choice. Um and, and I've just gotten to the point where I'm like, I don't want to feel that. And I've watched my friends that I've hung out with. And as they've also stepped away from systems and they're drinking for the first time, for the most part in their lives, we're all, you know, we're all allowed this time or two of really messing it up and drinking too much. But my friends have all seemed to kind of get, you know, they figure out like, okay, this is too many and that's the right amount. And they seem to have a really good time um, and manage it. I, I think people have this idea. If you're not a drinker, you have this idea that alcohol will destroy everything. And it and it can. But I think for most people, it doesn't. And I think most people do pretty well at managing uh, their experiences with drinking and do it in safe and healthy and fun ways. If you want to join the show, call 435-277-0511. Um, we'd love to field a phone call or two. Uh, as we do this episode and have this conversation. Uh, let me just run through a few, like uh, Sex on the Beach. Is that a good drink? If it's fruity, yeah. <laughs> no, it is, <laughs> so that is a good one. <laughs> really, any fruity drink, I just I gobble those things up. They're just so good. Yeah, yeah I do too. And, and my, my friends kind of laugh at me a little bit. Um, there's this thing about what's a woman's drink and what's a men's drink. And uh, none, all that's ridiculous, really. All of that's silly. Like it's alcohol in a glass. It has various tastes to it. Some of us don't like the hard, bitter taste of certain drinks. Some of us don't like. Uh, some of us don't like the sweet taste of the sweetie drinks. My dad swears by beer. He won't touch hard liquor. He won't touch the fruity drinks. Um, he just wants a Miller High Life or a Bush Light or a Coors Light, and that's that's what he wants to have as a kind of a nice uh, uh, light beer. And um, everybody has a right to kind of pick and choose what they want and what they enjoy. Uh, how about a Moscow Mule? Do you like those? Yeah, those are really good, actually. Those, I had one of those for the first time a few months ago, and those are really tasty. Yeah. I uh, Yeah. I, I The Moscow Mule, which I think is the one that comes in the copper can, right? The copper. And, and, they, and the copper, I mean, they... There's been studies shown that say it has no effect on the taste, but we all decided somewhere long ago that all Moscow mules had to be made in copper uh, copper uh, serving dishes. They look cool. <laughs> and, you know, one other thing that I really enjoy is gin, gin and tonic, uh, gin and, and different with different juices and things like that. The flavor. Oh, you, and, you and Snoop Dogg. You and Snoop yeah. Dogg both. <laughs> gin is good stuff. I, I do enjoy that. Cool, cool. Um 
I'm trying to think offhand. Do, are you? It doesn't sound like I don't hear a lot of beers being talked about on your end. What's your thoughts on beer? You know, beer is one of those things that I. Okay, here's here's one thing for any new drinkers that are coming into the scene for the first time. Um, don't go cheap, because if you're an adult and you're just starting drinking for the first time, chances are you can afford better products. So, I would say veer towards the middle end to the higher end of of drinks and beer for me is the same way i don't do coors light and that's nothing against uh anybody that likes coors light i just don't like it 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 just doesn't it's not that tasty to me so i tend to lean more towards um you know like local breweries uh stuff with with citrus notes in it i really enjoy uh, shock top but it's that's not even an expensive beer but it's not your classic lager or something it's it's a little lighter it's uh got a bit of the citrus flavors in it and i enjoy that but as far as beer i think beer for me is more um it's more of a summer drink to me i i wouldn't drink that in the winter time it's more of a kind of an outdoor thing so that's typically when i have beers when when i'm barbecuing and when i'm eating food and, and just outside yeah. So man, there's, so even in the beer industry or in the, if you're going to try beers out, like some beers are really dark, they're going to have kind of a, uh, a lot more grainy taste to them, right? They're going to, they're going to be darker. Um, there's this kind of categories of beers that you can have and, uh, people tend to gravitate different directions. Everybody has their own taste buds. Everybody kind of picks and chooses what tastes good to them. Um, you've, as you've gotten to the end of kind of this journey of, and, and it sounds like you still keep track of stuff, right? You're still writing down what you're taking. How, how long have you been drinking? Uh, just over, let's see, just over a year. So yes. since I think 2000, late 2018. Yeah. So a little over a year and this is all new to you. You're still keeping track of what you have. And I think, again, I think that's great because it allows you to know what to go back to, what to stay away from, what you like, what you don't like. And at this point, now a year in, you've got to be getting to the point where you go sit down with some friends and you're pretty comfortable knowing what you want to order, huh? Pretty much. I mean, there there are still some things. I, I am still intimidated by the drink menu sometimes. there's That's when I just kind of go back to whatever whatever I know. So those lime mojitos, that's definitely a go-to. But um, I do rely on friends and family to, to kind of give me suggestions. Like the other last weekend, we were out in Austin with my sister and brother-in-law and we went again to that piano bar and my brother-in-law introduced me to a bourbon that was middle top shelf that was actually really good. And my previous experience with bourbon was pretty bad. So that was, you know, an eye-opening experience. So I'm still exploring, still trying things out, but generally speaking, yeah, when I when I sit down with friends and family at a at a restaurant or at a bar, I know I know what I want and I know what I like. So it's a lot more comfortable and easy. I don't feel like uh, like a little boy trying to sneak a drink or something. Yeah, at the end of your article, and we'll share the article uh, in the resource notes of the episode if people want to check it out. But in the article, you list I think eleven pointers, things you're like, look, I've been doing this for a year. Um, I know a lot of people in in the space of deconstructing a religious system that prohibited alcohol. 
that we're all kind of new in this space and I wanted to put my advice out there. What are your 11 pointers? Let's go through them one by one. And uh, maybe after each one, we can kind of talk about them for a second. Sure. So first thing is just to realize that alcohol is a drug and a toxin and it needs to be treated with respect. I, I think that is something I learned through that Dallas experience that it will kick your, it'll kick your butt and ruin your life if you're not careful with it. Yeah. So let me ask here, uh, the argument can be made because the research has come out in the last few months that we used to have this argument that a little bit of alcohol or a little bit of certain kinds of alcohol is great for your heart, which still is by the way. Um, but that alcohol, no matter what level you have contributes to the higher chances of developing cancer. And so the argument in the last few months has been like, let's reevaluate no level of alcohol may be safe. And some of the studies are pointing to that saying no level of alcohol is safe. Um, what do you say to folks who say like, all you're doing is taking something that will inevitably have you die sooner. Why do that to yourself? And that's a fair question. And I think it's something that every, everybody needs to grapple with on their own. My, my thinking on that point is that we are all going to die from something. I know a guy that lived in Los Angeles he died of lung cancer and never smoked a cigarette in his whole life. Um, I could, I drive a lot for work. I could easily get crushed by a truck and die being a very safe driver. I love bacon. And I know a lot of people that love bacon. It's full of fat. It's full of things that are bad for your body. And yet we gobble it down like there's no tomorrow sometimes. Meat, processed foods, all of these things, there's a risk for every single thing that we ingest in our bodies. and. I just, I refuse to accept this all or nothing paradigm. It's, it's, that is a fear-based paradigm and I'm not going to deal with it anymore because it's just not realistic. You know, look, the thing is I went, I went on a wine tour, wine tasting tour with a good friend of mine over a year ago. It was my first experience with wine. I had a great time. I learned that I like wine. And we had a really good time just openly talking about life, talking about our families and nothing bad happened. You know, it, I didn't feel any worse for wear at all. In fact, my life was enriched by that experience and it still is today. So as long as I'm taking care of myself, I just, I just don't see that this all or nothing approach is the best way to approach anything. No, that may the exception may be crack cocaine. All right, I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about hard hard drugs. You know, let's we need to be reasonable with that. But I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I think it's a a piece that deserves some conversation. Which is, if you're on the outside and you're and you're scared to death, you've been raised in a way that makes you fearful of everything that's out there then you're going to run into a problem um, in that, yeah, maybe you live to be 120 and maybe you die tomorrow in the car crash that you're talking about. But I'll, I'll tell you this, in the last, uh, say, three years, as I've been on this side of things and enjoying just being present and not judging uh, various opportunities uh, to, whether it be as simple as meditation, whether it be something as extreme as, uh, alcohol or other things, as you're navigating that, those things tend to help me have better experiences with the people around me. And 
And on this side of things, I'd rather live 60 years and be present and enjoying my life every day than living for 80 years and being afraid of everything and and judging that anything that's different than me, anyone that's different than me, any idea that's different than what I know to be true is scary, wrong, bad. Um, man, I, I'll, I'll give up those 20 years any day to have a more fulfilling life. I, I couldn't agree anymore. That, that's You hit it right on because this idea that, uh, I don't know, just preserving life to the maximum, is that really the goal or is it a, is the goal to just enjoy life? To me, it's just to enjoy life. And if I have to poison myself a little bit to get some enjoyment here and there, I'm going to have some junk food. I'm going to have some liquor. I'm going to have a Mai Tai, you know, and, and I feel totally comfortable with that. And everything is bad to the extreme. Uh, people have died from drinking too much water. Uh, there are literal cases of I, just a couple of years ago, I heard of a contest where uh, the whoever drank the most water got to win like a brand new car on a radio show or something. And uh, the, a lady died. She she wins, but she drank so much water that she ended up dying from too much water intake. Um, and when you think of it, like everything can be dangerous. Um, you want to be I, I no longer look at things like right and wrong. I look at things like healthy and unhealthy, responsible and irresponsible. And I try to gauge how I live my life that way. Um, any other, what's, what's, let's go on to the next one. What's number two? Sure. So just drinking and driving, it's dangerous. It's stupid. It's illegal. Don't do it. And for me, what I do is if I have had a drink within an hour, I, I have my wife or somebody else drive, or I, I get an Uber or something. I'm just not going to mess with that. Whether I feel drunk or not, I'm just not going to mess with it. It's not worth it's not worth me hurting myself or someone else. And it's not worth me losing my job or my license for. Yeah. No drinking and driving. And um, we live in 2020. I mean, getting an Uber or a Lyft ride or, uh, you know, even calling a taxi is not, not as hard as it used to be. Um, you've got apps on your phones for all of those if you want them. Um, people can easily uh, contact somebody to take them home. And often we are in settings where somebody uh, is being a designated driver. I know a lot of times when I go out, uh, one part of the partnership decides they're not going to drink that night. If we all go somewhere collectively, one person in the van decides they're not going to drink that night. And you just play it safe. Drinking and driving, I think, is a big one. We just just clearly stay away from it. It's a it's a risk that no one needs to take. Totally agree. Number three. So <clears throat> self-medic self-medicating with alcohol to cope with life is a terrible idea. So we, we all are under pressure sometimes more than others. And I've just realized that if I ever feel the temptation to have a drink because I want to escape life, and to relieve stress and anxiety, for me, that is a slippery slope towards dependence. And I, I just don't do that. Yeah. And people, we all have problems in our life. We all have things that we don't want to deal with. I just had a daughter last night who got into a little fender bender accident and it throws my day off, throws my evening off. Um, we all have things going on. We have relatives who are sick. Maybe we have health issues ourselves. We have people pass away. 
We have stresses from our job and from our family and from our life. But to use alcohol to escape um, your life, uh, especially if, when if you find yourself doing that on a regular basis, um, not healthy. And so maybe, maybe, maybe if you're listening and that's your story, maybe reach out and ask for some help. You know, and just to add on to that, Bill, I think we all have our, our vices, so to speak, uh, and that's there's no moral judgment there. But whether we're using food or soda or alcohol or it, what, name your poison, whatever it is, we all self-medicate in some way or have at least in some way or some time of our lives. And I think drinking alcohol has has really made me become more aware of that as well. Like, am I gobbling down a whole sleeve of cookies because I feel stressed out about something that's going on at work? That's not a good idea either. That's not a healthy thing to do either, regardless of whether or not I can get drunk off of cookies or not. It's just not a good thing to, to self-medicate with whatever substance or product. There, there is the, let's just be honest, there are folks out there who have a predisposition to because of their genetics, because of evolution, because of their D, DNA, because of their personality, because of their makeup, because of their family history, um, they're prone to fall into using al alcohol in unhealthy ways. And so we don't want to pretend at all. I don't, I don't see that from your conversation at all, that this is all. Yeah. So there are unhealthy ways to use alcohol. And, and, and if people find themselves in that, again, there's going to be a percentage of the population that's prone to that. I would just suggest like, if you feel like you need help, reach out for help. That shouldn't be an impetus for everybody not drinking. That doesn't seem to make sense to me either, but I think we all have to navigate this territory responsibly. Um, I've, I come from a family of heavy drinkers and I've seen a lot of negative experiences. I've seen a lot more positive ones, but I've seen some negative experiences and I've seen a few people who use it in unhealthy ways. Uh, number four, what's the, what's the next one you've got there? So be mindful and record how much I drink. Uh, if I, if I'm not careful, I, I realize that it would get away from me. So for me, just keeping a record, making sure I keep track of that was important. Yeah. And that's worked out really well for you. Um, that's, that's worked out really. It, it, and again, it doesn't only help you control the amounts. It helps you know what you like. I, I think I didn't do this. I, and I wish I kind of did. I think everybody that keeps this kind of record is going to find quicker the things they like and don't like. And also the um, the limit amounts of what they would drink because taking shots is much different than drinking beers. And so maybe three shots put you in a great spot, but maybe it takes, you know, six beers to get you to a great spot. And so you just got to kind of feel that out. Yeah. It's just a process of learning. Uh, awesome. Hey, so here's the question. This was Randy who was trying to call in. Uh, I was wondering about what you do when you have lots of kids. How do you strategize around children? Is that is that an issue you're dealing with, Jared? And yeah, and so I, what do you do I've there? got yeah, I've got four boys, and that's a good a good question. I've got four boys. Two of them are at home. Two of them are out of the house. So I've actually had drinks with my two older boys. They are of age, legal limit. So that's that's been a fun bonding bonding experience. But with the the younger boys, um, we. This is, it's one of those things where I've just had to start talking openly about it rather than hiding uh, my drinks, hiding the fact that I do drink. I've just been straight up open with them and I've answered all of their questions. Even the questions about, does it make you feel good? Do you like drinking? 
you know, it, it used to be that I would be afraid to say, yeah, I, I enjoy drinking for fear that my sons would try to sneak behind my back and become some raging alcoholic. I, I've just found that when you talk about it openly, it takes away the mystique and it, it allows you to have a more open conversation and really get to know what their desires are. Uh, now, as far as little kids, I don't have little kids. My, my two youngest are teenagers. So little kids, I've got family members that have little kids still at home and they, they drink in front of their little kids. Um, of course, they're, they're careful not to get totally wasted in front of their little kids. They're showing a good example, but they answer questions of the little kids as well. It's just a matter of open conversation and communication. Yeah. And you know, it's the same as anything else. If you're, if you're mom and dad and you want to go out with friends, then you got to find a babysitter, obviously, if they're a little, and, and so you just navigate those things. But um, I think everybody has a right to kind of figure this out on their own, just like everything else that is on this side of life. We, we so depended on having answers to everything and somebody telling us what the rules were. And on this side of things, we all get to kind of feel out what works and what doesn't work. Uh, what's the next one on your list? Let's see. So <clears throat> to, to minimize the negative effects on my health, I've, I've decided to consume less than the recommended maximum drinks per, per day or per week. So, you know, this goes into the conversation that we had earlier about maybe zero is the right number. Um, I don't think that's the case. I, for me, I don't think that that's something that I wanted here by, but uh, there are some recommendations out there that say for men, you shouldn't have more than, I think it's more than seven in a setting and something like 14 a week. Um, to me, even still, that's still a little high, but I just try to minimize the negative effects, the negative health effects of alcohol on my body by limiting what I drink per week and per, per day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next one. Um, this is something that I found is really important. It's it, it just the idea that just because I can drink doesn't mean that I should. So if I'm in a business conference or if I'm with friends, or even if I'm just home alone, just because I now can drink because the rules quote unquote, don't apply to me anymore. It doesn't mean that I should drink every time I have the opportunity. And I've learned to become really attuned to how my mind feels, how my body feels. And I can decide in that moment whether or not it's a good idea. And I think, you know, if, if you're hanging out with people that are encouraging you to drink when you don't want to drink, that's, that's a peer pressure that should be shed. That's, that's dangerous and it can cause you problems. But uh, just learning how to recognize when the time is right for you and learning to say no is I, I think a really important thing to, to learn about yourself and uh, you need, everyone needs self-control. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've had, man, so I drink, um, but I don't drink much and I don't really like alcohol generally. I don't, I don't enjoy the taste generally. Um, I don't, uh, my, my friends probably drink a little more than me and they're not drinking in unhealthy ways at all, but they drink a little more than me. And um, sometimes they, they want me to drink because it makes me more socially uh, involved 
in the conversations and the jokes and the laughing. Uh, I tend to be more of an introvert uh, when I'm in a public space. And so I tend to go find a couch in the corner and sit down and just kind of people watch. Um, but people find that they have their things they enjoy uh, that, you know, diff- I, I, I'm around people who use cannabis sometimes. I'm around people who do other things. And I think everybody gets to pick what it is that they enjoy. It really shouldn't be about what other people want from you. It should be about you enjoying your experience in your life without hurting or manipulating or harming anybody else. And so we each get to pick. So for people out there, if you've tried alcohol on a dozen occasions and you just absolutely hate it and you find something else works better for you, then more power to you. Uh, I, I think everybody gets to navigate this differently, but I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how to make alcohol a healthy part of their of the fun in their life. Um, and I think you're giving a bunch of great tips for doing that. Uh, what's the next one? Sure. So there's no need to pressure yourself into liking what your friends like. For example, um, one of my coworkers really loves straight vodka. I can't stand it. It's it's too strong. The taste is just, it, I don't like it. It doesn't taste good. And like I said earlier, bourbon has been one of those things that I just, I don't, I don't typically enjoy. And I always felt this when I, when I was first starting to drink, I felt this pressure to like what they liked, but I've realized that everybody has different taste buds. Every, everybody has different things that they enjoy, different flavor profiles that they enjoy. And so I've just learned to say, no, how about a mojito or how about wine or how about something else that I would like? And I've never been shamed for it. I've never been, you know, made fun of because I like fruity drinks. And honestly, if I were, I don't care about those people anyway. So just find something that you enjoy because if you're drinking stuff that you don't enjoy, what's the point? That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there are times where I'm at a party and somebody's just big on pouring vodka and mixing something for someone. And it's just not my thing. Um, other times people are like, do you want a beer? No, I'd rather have this or that. Uh, again, I think you're making great points, which is don't, don't feel pressured to line up your taste buds with somebody else. Does it enjoy, enjoy what you enjoy? Um, what's the next one? Yeah, one, I just want to add one thing, though. My wife, she doesn't drink alcohol, and she, she tried it in high school and didn't like it, and she hasn't had it since. And so when she goes out with me, when we go to dinner or go to clubs and things, she will drink other things. So she'll have Shirley Temples. She'll have the virgin variety of whatever I'm having. So there's, there's a lot of workarounds to drinking alcohol. You don't have to drink alcohol and have a good time. And that that's just a part of finding what works for you. So number number yeah. nine is remember to stay hydrated, eat food, and drink slowly. Pace yourself is really important. Yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes people say, like, all right, let's just jump into it. Let's just take three shots to start the night. And uh, Terrible you know, idea. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to a party or you're at a dinner event. You've got an evening. You've got, you know, you've got six to 10, six to 11, six to midnight, sometimes later uh, at these get togethers. You can pace yourself, have a good time. Um, You throw too much in early. You start to kind of, I think, easily lose track of how many you've had uh, because it takes a little while for some of that stuff to kick in a little bit. Um, Yeah. Pace yourself. Don't, don't put it all down in the first hour. Uh, 
be be prepared to kind of maybe more slowly drink throughout the night. Yeah, it's that thing. Just the idea of enjoying the the ride, enjoying the the evening is, I think, a really important concept because growing up, I always assumed that the point of drinking was to get drunk. And that just isn't the point. It really isn't. The point is to just enjoy the, the company that you're with, enjoy the drink that you're drinking because you enjoy the flavor of it, and to just remove some inhibitions and have some good time with, with people that you care about. Yeah. What's the, what's the next one? All right. So number 10 is just the, the realization that, that alcohol is a fun social lubricant, no doubt about it. But the awkwardness that I have felt in social settings is a hundred percent in my mind. And I'm working on continuously learning how to let go of my own self-imposed awkwardness rather than relying on alcohol to remove it for me. And, you know, granted, we, we talked about this earlier where it is nice to just have my inhibitions go away, but I've also come to realize more clearly that while alcohol helps me do that, I can also help me do that without alcohol. And so it's important to just understand I think why we're drinking, why it is we're drinking. If if we're drinking so that we can be more calm, maybe we need to just work on being more calm on our own without alcohol. Maybe there's something else going on in our minds that we're that's causing us some turmoil and some some anxiety. I think it's important to just work on those things on our own without relying on alcohol to take it away. Because that's that leads into dependence, for, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for millions of years, evolution has been at work in ingraining in us certain social pressures and social structures. And those pressures compel us to fit in and to belong and to shield parts of ourselves we think are unacceptable to others. It causes us to pretend to be people at times so that we fit in with others. We often find ourselves kind of feeling like, oh, I don't, I, I can't be the real me. I can't really say what I think. I can't really dance right now because I know I don't dance well and people will, I'll, it'll be embarrassing and people will joke about me for years. We have all these stories running through our head, these narratives that just go through this, this mind chatter. And it constantly compels us to be something less than we want to be. And in extreme cases, I think some of that is necessary, um, but also I think there's a lot more of us that can be without it being unhealthy in any way. And, and so I think when we drink, I think a couple of things happen. One is that it gives us an excuse. If I get too stupid, I get to blame the drinking, right? If I, if I dance and it's ridiculous, people can go, oh, well, Bill was, Bill was half in the bag. You got to cut them some slack. So it gives us something to kind of uh, make accountable for anything we do that's unhealthy or awkward. Um, and, and I think also, too, it, it frees us up. Like, you know this. I know this. It just creates this feeling in you that you recognize like, oh, we're all just human beings being human. And we all do it in different ways. And you, under the influence of a conscious altering uh, substance, you sense that other people are just trying to do the same thing. They're also trying to be themselves. They're also feeling shame about the world around them and how they fit in it. 
they also have reservations about being their full self. And and when you're in a group setting and, and everybody's drinking a little bit or drinking a lot, you, you sense like, oh, let's let's just all be kind to each other and give us as much grace as we can. Yeah, you know, it, it's I do think that there we're all under so much pressure to behave in certain ways, to to even think in certain ways. And that's one thing that I've I've really enjoyed about alcohol. It just it it breaks that down. But again, if it if we rely on that too much, then we're becoming dependent on it. And I think that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. But you know, and this leads into my last point, and, and I'll if you don't mind, Bill, I'll just go right into that last the last point is number eleven is I realize that alcohol itself is neither good nor evil. It just it's just a substance that can bring added joy or added misery if I abuse it to my life. And, you know, I had always been taught that alcohol itself was just bad, that it was evil. And that's like saying money is bad and evil. It Neither are evil. They just are. It's how, how we think of them, what we do with them, that makes them either good or evil. And this notion that having any amounts of alcohol will drive virtue away from me is absurd. I've, I've learned for myself that that is just absolutely wrong uh, because it's bound me to people. It's helped me build better, build better relationships with people, people at work, family members, friends, etc. So alcohol isn't good or bad. And I'm not here to teach everybody that they absolutely should start drinking alcohol. But to demonize something that's an inanimate object or substance is kind of silly. Yeah. And my, my two cents here is I've sat and watched the research come out on various culture, uh, conscious altering tools. I'll give a couple of examples. Um, there are schedule one drugs out there. The, the government has deemed those drugs to have no benefit. That's what, that's what it means to be schedule one. They have no benefit and um, for health purposes and they are dangerous and addictive. Um, and so those drugs and some of those that get put on there, for instance, is uh, MDMA, ecstasy, Molly. Uh, I read the book, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. And I've read some of the research that's come out recently where soldiers with PTSD who take MDMA over three therapeutic sessions, uh, 76% of the study, people in the study, uh, reported their PTSD being gone. And if you work in the health industry, you understand that PTSD cannot ever be gone. It, it, we've always thought we can't get rid of it. We can, uh, we can manage it. We can give people tools to deal with it, but there's no way to just get rid of it. And what they're finding is through therapy with, uh, ecstasy or Molly being used as the drug to, and a therapist to talk through you as you, as you're under that substance, um, over the course of three sessions, that PTSD is gone. They've done studies on magic mushrooms, another Schedule One drug in most places, except for maybe Colorado and a few other places around the world. Um, they've done studies that show that taking uh, psychedelic mushrooms opens up your mind to being more inclusive, uh, to being more welcoming of others. There's there's absolutely positive health effects that occur by somebody taking that that substance from time to time. Uh, alcohol, I put in that same bucket. You can misuse it or you can use it for, for positive reasons and positive purposes. I think everybody has to figure out 
what they like, what they don't like, what is good for them, what is not good for them, what is healthy, what is unhealthy, what is responsible, what is irresponsible, and navigate themselves that that themselves. But I think all things can be tools or uh, vices. Uh, all things can be healthy or unhealthy, depending on how you use them. Um, maybe with a few exceptions. And you mentioned, you know, crack cocaine or or meth or heroin. Um, those are drugs that I, I just don't even care to watch the research on. I They just don't interest me in the least um, because they are obviously um, more addictive and much more negative repercussions caused to those who use those things. Yeah, I think that uh, just the idea that something can be all bad, uh, like alcohol, food. You know, I remember when I was a kid in the 80s, my mom read a study that said that pepper caused cancer. So she removed pepper from her house for a while. Uh, come on, really? You know, so we can definitely take anything, any viewpoint way overboard. And I just, I'm just working on finding the middle road because I think that's where most of the wisdom happens. Granted, I do think that we need, I, I think we need people on either side saying, you know, we need the people saying, any amount of alcohol is bad for you. And we need, well, maybe we don't need, but we need people countering that, that thought so that we can find the wisdom in the middle somewhere. Um, you know, and the thing about it is some amounts of alcohol are good for people. And sometimes there are people that no amounts of alcohol are good for. But again, that goes to one of my earlier points where you just have to know yourself. You have to know that just because you can drink doesn't mean that you should. And so that's that's where personal wisdom and and really knowing yourself comes into play. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it, Jared. Um, any other thoughts from you? Anything? Any other advice? Any other any other thing you want to throw out that somebody who's like, all right, I, I'm going to try it. I'm going to I'm going to sometime over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to go out with a few friends and uh, open myself up to trying some things. I'm going to start keeping a record of what I what I drink so I can find out what's good, and what isn't good, and what I like, and what I don't like. Uh, any other advice from you? Yeah, I would just say go slow and find somebody, a mentor, if you will, a friend who's been around the block a couple times who can kind of help you understand what to expect, what, uh, you know, how to find something that tastes good and, and feels good to you. Going and hiding in a hotel room and buying a couple drinks from the corner market, it's not a good experience. It's not fun. So really just go out with people and find somebody that can help you who's who understands what they're you know what alcohol's about that can kind of teach you the teach you the ropes. Yeah, cool, cool. Uh it's been a lot of fun having you on. I think that you're speaking to a large chunk of our audience. Um at least this early in our development of this podcast, uh, a lot of folks have deconstructed systems that told them how to live their lives and now they're trying to figure out how to live their life themselves. People come up to me all the time and say, you know, Bill, if you're, if you're going to take, if you're going to help people deconstruct their system, then you have to replace it with something. And I balk at that every time because what I figured out, what is the real truth is that every one of us get to pick our life to a degree. Like some things just get thrown at us. We get that, but there is no ultimate truth that we all need to gravitate to in terms of a magic being in the sky or some some religious system that has all the answers. Instead, whether there's a God or not, 
I think God is looking to each one of us, if there is a God, or the universe is looking to each one of us to kind of write our own story to the extent that we can and have the freedom to do so. Um, it, it just feels like people are scared to let go of the certainty of, of their life before, and they want answers, and they want a rule book, and they want boundaries and rules and lists. And, and on this side of things, that's the last thing I want. It's the last thing my friends want. Uh, we just want to be healthy. We want to be responsible. We want to have a ton of fun. You know, one thing I want to point out is along the lines of that is I had, I had that terrible hangover experience in Dallas and it was, it really scared me and it hurt me. But what I've learned in talking to other friends and family who have been there before is that that is just a normal part of life, of learning something, of experiencing something. Sometimes we have to fall on our faces and puke our guts out to learn certain lessons. And I'm not saying that you have to drink in order to learn self-control, but my point is whenever you just say, follow someone's external rules that tell you absolutely not for whatever reason, I just, I just think you're giving your power away. You're taking the opportunity for you to experience life and giving it to someone else. And I just, I'm not willing to do that anymore. Um, I would rather make mistakes on my own and figure out my own path than to just live in fear, like you said, Bill, and, and have other people tell me how to live because that has just not been very fulfilling. Yeah, we we think like you just, you know, we call it mistakes and, and they are, they're mistakes. Uh, my daughter went through a yellow light last night too late and it turned red and somebody then had a green light when she was in the middle of the intersection and they, they collided. Um, mistakes, we, we label them as bad. We want to avoid all mistakes. And the reality is that's not how the world works. We're going to make mistakes. And those mistakes I think are the best of opportunities to learn from and to become better human beings. Um, I've made mistakes in my marriage and those mistakes have led to my wife developing my, you, her and I developing a beautiful relationship that involves more uh, love and compassion now than, than before those mistakes happened. I think in most of our lives, when we, when we, when we err and we recognize like, Oh, Oh shoot, I messed up. Um, those are great opportunities to learn from. And I think most of us do. I think that's how the world works. We're all learning. And we, and we sometimes can learn mistakes from others. Others, we can learn from others' mistakes. And sometimes we just have to make a sum of our own. Um, and, and not to beat ourselves up and not to beat others up when those things happen. And so when people are navigating this thing, alcohol, uh, give everybody some space. Everybody deserves the chance to, to get too drunk and throw up a couple of times and, and have some hangovers to figure out what the right amount is. And, that goes for anything else in our lives. Give people a chance to, to make some errors and to learn from them and to become better human beings. Uh, I just appreciate having you on. It's been a great conversation. I, Again, a large chunk of the audience has either navigated alcohol for a very brief time or just now thinking about getting into the space. Um, I think your advice is all top notch. I think keeping a record of things, uh, man, I wish I had done that. So I'm glad you did it. And I'm glad you took the first year of this experience and put it into a kind of a blog post, a little, a little write-up. I'll share that again on the episode notes, but um, I think we get to learn from people like you, Jared. You get to help all of us uh, manage this space better as we first enter it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been really fun to, to talk about these things with you, and I, 
I just I hope that um, our conversation can help put some people at ease, remove the whole fear instinct, and just help people just realize that things are not as scary as they maybe have been led to believe. Life is really beautiful, and things like this really help it be more enjoyable. Just we just need to learn our limits and and then stick by that. Yeah. Jared, thanks so much for being on the Almost Awakened podcast. Everybody check it out. It's almostawakened.org. Uh, you can there's resources there. There's a recommendation of books that Mikkel and I are reading or have read uh, on that site. And if you can, please donate. This podcast survives on the donations of, of each of you who are listening, who are enjoying this work. Jared, uh, thanks so much for being on and appreciate your time today, my friend. My pleasure. Take care. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman.